Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Epiphany's Podcast, a ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. For more information about our church, you can visit epiphanyligonier.org. Ernest Hemingway, uh, famous for his writing on the topic of masculinity, uh, shared a telling anecdote in the beginning of his short story called uh, The Capital of the World. And I want to focus on that anecdote, not the rest of the short story. The story begins with a joke about uh, the name Paco, a very common Spanish name. And the story that Hemingway tells is that one Spanish father had a falling out with his son Paco. And after searching all over Madrid for his estranged son, the father placed an advertisement in the newspaper saying, Paco, meet me at the hotel Tuesday at noon. All is forgiven. And when the father arrived at the meeting place, Hemingway recounts, he was amazed. 800 Pacos had arrived to receive forgiveness from their fathers. So many that the local police had to be called in to maintain order. And it's a small side note story in Hemingway's larger story, but it bites at a truth of our fallen world. That whether it's family or elsewhere, we all long for reconciliation and forgiveness and peace. And if you've been following along with our series with its cheeky title, The Gospel According to Genesis, you'll have seen a lot of reconciliation and forgiveness and peace throughout our series. Um, Last week, to catch you up, we learned that Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel, had died giving birth to his son, Benjamin. And not long afterwards, in our reading today, in fact, Jacob will experience a second death, a second close death, one that will signal again that the baton of God's partnership and blessing is passing along to the next generation. But if you know the story, you know that the relationship between Jacob and his father is complicated. And we're going to find in our reading today, as Jacob's father is finally gathered to his people, God blesses this father and son with a moment of reconciliation and forgiveness and peace. The same sort of reconciliation and forgiveness and peace that we all long for. At this point in Genesis, by chapter 35, things in Jacob's life have continued in an upward trajectory. And while Jacob's father and grandfather only had two sons with their primary wives, Jacob has been blessed with a massive family, 12 sons and one daughter. And the names of these 12 sons are important, as we'll see later on, because the baton of God's blessing is going to be passed along to them very soon. Here's the list as outlined at the beginning of our reading today in our bulletins. Now, the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddan Aram. Now, in ancient terms, you see, with all of these kids, Jacob has hit the jackpot. He's won the lottery. 
It's enough that he can start his own tribe. It's enough that he is not beholden to the rest of his family for his welfare. And that's a good thing because Jacob has done a lot in his younger days to estrange himself from the rest of his family. He was not particularly good to his brother, uh, his twin brother, and his father. He was deceptive, he meddled in the family affairs, and he was Machiavellian, right? He was um, almost tyrannical in his uh, undermining of the family and his desire to usurp his older-born twin brother for the position of firstborn child. And the result was that Jacob was sent away to modern-day Turkey, read he was exiled from his own, for his own safety, before his estranged brother uh, returned to murder him. That things got so bad in the family uh, that Jacob's life was in danger from his elder brother. And people kind of understood that, well, that, that kind of makes a little sense because Jacob, he might have deserved it. Twenty years later, when Jacob returns to the region, the situation has reversed, primarily because of God's blessing. Jacob left his family. Uh, he was penniless and destitute. Um, he returns with so many sons that he's probably mixing all their names up all the time. He has a massive herd of livestock to live off of, and his servants, he's got plenty of them to watch after the livestock. He's basically got money coming out of his ears. Um, And so what he does after 20 years of being exiled from his family, the first thing he does when he returns to this Israel land they're all traveling in is he reconciles with his twin brother, the one who was plotting 20 years before to murder him. And the two are restored to their fellowship. His brother has done well enough for himself that he can sort of let bygones be bygones. God has taken a situation that could have had an ending like Cain and Abel back in Genesis chapter 4, where the two brothers murder each other, and he's avoided that catastrophe. But if you've been following Genesis as we have for a number of weeks now, you notice that even though Jacob is back in this region we now call Israel, there's one figure that Jacob still has not reconciled with. And that figure may be the most important figure in Jacob's life, maybe even more important than his twin brother, and that's Jacob's father. The last interaction between Jacob and his father was not a pleasant one. Jacob was intent on receiving the blessing of his father despite being technically the second-born child. He wanted to receive the privileges and the relationship of the older-by-two-minutes twin big brother. Uh, but he, So he deceives his father. Um, He's grown old and lost his vision. His father has. They didn't have cataract surgery in the ancient world. And so Jacob puts on his brother's clothes, which smell like his brother. And Jacob puts goat skin on his arms to mimic his brother's hairy arms. And Jacob's mother cooks a special dish that his brother makes, right? Because we're going to mimic the brother's fancy, you know, flesh chevron recipe, um, the, the goat, right? And he tricks his brother into receiving, and he tricks his father into receiving the blessing of the firstborn. And so this rite of passage where a father passes the leadership of the tribe on to the next son and blesses on, uh, passes on the sort of uh, spiritual and physical uh, leadership of the tribe, Jacob intercedes in the middle of that important tradition and receives that which was meant for his brother. And so what happens? His brother gets so mad he wants to murder him, so his parents send him away to modern-day Turkey to find a wife. And while the scriptures aren't exactly clear on the dates of these events, we know that uh, the great breach of trust that Jacob and his father uh, have been through together, at this point, it's at least 20 years ongoing, at least, 
probably a lot more. And so reconciliation with his brother is one thing. This question of birthright is, is kind of material. Who's going to inherit the estate after Isaac's death? But 20 years later, both Jacob and Esau, they're fine. They're prosperous. They're doing their own thing. They're not dependent on the inheritance to survive in the ancient world. Reconciliation with his father, on the other hand, has yet to take place. And so ancient readers, when they arrive at Genesis 35, are certainly wondering, will Jacob and his father ever reconnect? Isaac, the father, was on his deathbed. At least that's what it seemed like back when all this started. And even if he wasn't on his deathbed, it's certainly the case that Isaac is infirm, unable to take care of himself. He's blind. He's left to the service and care of others. But in our reading today, we have an answer. After 20 years of exile from this land, after getting married and building a family, after reconciling with his brother, after setting up shop for a season in a place called Shechem, and then having to move suddenly for a season to a place called Bethel, Jacob finally returns to visit his father and Hebron. And it's just in time too, because it seems that Jacob arrives just in time to say goodbye to his father for good. Here's how our reading ends today. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Jacob had this opportunity to reconnect with his father before he died. And Isaac, the father, after experiencing this tragedy of warring twin sons, is buried by the two brothers who are now reconciled. The generations of Isaac have come to a close on a happy note. And that's the Bible's way of saying the stories of Jacob and Esau have come to end on a happy note. The next chapter of Genesis is a genealogy outlining the ancestry of Esau. And following that chapter, uh, the chapter that would be 38 uh, or 37, the chapter begins like this. These are the generations of Jacob. Once again, the story of Genesis is going to shift, moving the promise of God for land and offspring and blessing and an international impact down the generational ladder. This time, however, there will be 12 protagonists instead of one, a family of brothers set to inherit the promise of God instead of the one chosen son. And so, in our reading today, we come to a close on the Bible's focus of Jacob and his life, as Jacob is going to move from being the main character in Genesis to being a side character in the story of his sons. I thought I would share a few summarizing thoughts about Jacob and his life and what it means. First, I want to point out that across three generations, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the pattern for deception has grown and amplified. The scripture records that Abraham was the first person to try and lie his way through life's hardships. He tried to pass off his wife as his sister, endangering his marriage bed and endangering his wife too. Abraham did that twice. Uh, His son Isaac copied his father, did that trick once. And then Jacob took that same attitude, deception and trickery and lies, and used it on his father and his brother. 
Now, he was also the victim of trickery from his father-in-law and brothers-in-law, too. So, you know, he got a taste of his own medicine here. Uh, but at the same time, we can see through the generations that this pattern of being deceptive when life gets hard is manifesting itself and growing from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. One can only imagine what turns the book of Genesis will take if this pattern of deception and trickery is passed along to these 12 sons. Spoiler alert, it is passed on, and it will be quite the story from here on out. So that's the first observation, that the pattern of trickery in Genesis, as we've been reading, uh, has amplified. Now, the second observation I want to make is that God's promise passes from generation to generation, that God is faithful to all three of these patriarchs, as we call them. Despite the fact that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are all men of supremely questionable moral character, God works with them nonetheless. And this is especially true of Jacob, who had to flee for his life a number of times, uh, to, and God protects him every time he does. Every time Jacob's got to get out of get out of Denver, right? Uh, that's Bob Seeger. Every time Jacob's got to get out of Denver, God protects him along the way. And I was struck afresh in our reading uh, the la- that the last words of Isaac that were said to Jacob uh, two decades ago before our reading today um, were these. I was struck afresh by them. This is what Isaac the father says to Jacob his son as Jacob is being sent away uh, to Turkey uh, to keep his own life from being taken from him by his murderous brother. Isaac says this, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. And may he give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Now these are words, um, the Isaac's words back to Jacob in Genesis 28. This is Jacob's prayer. May God give you these things um, when Jacob is leaving. And um, when Jacob takes his 20 plus years away, um, that's the last thing that the father said to the son. And interestingly enough, by the grace of God, that is exactly how things turn out. Esau, you see, decides to strike out on his own and go to another region uh, where he prospers and grows his tribe to the point that it becomes a nation in his own right. He leaves the land of Canaan for Jacob to possess. And that is exactly what happens when Jacob returns to Hebron with his father. The events in today's reading are God's answer to Isaac's prayer for Jacob's safe return 20 years and seven Bible chapters ago. Jacob has returned to the land of his forefathers to take possession of his divinely appointed right with a company of people, just as Isaac prayed. And it did not come to him because he was successful in his deception and and taking the firstborn child blessing, but it was given to him by the blessing of God. By the grace of God, he received what he was looking for. And so you can see even in this passage how the prayers and the promises of generations before are coming together and passing along to Jacob. And we can assume that those same prayers and blessings and the companionship of the God of the heavens is going to pass along to Jacob's sons as well. Third observation in our reading. If there's any doubt that the Genesis is a book about God's grace and the forgiveness of sins, look at all the forgiving that's happened in Jacob's life. Jacob finds forgiveness with his brother and his father. He finds forgiveness from God. I mean, the man has a number of supreme moral failures in his life, 
including one that I didn't preach about yet. I'm going to send it to you in a bonus podcast, and it's just, it's too R-rated to cover on a Sunday morning because, you know, kids, right? And so, podcast coming, get ready for that. And yet, even that instance is forgiven. Everything is forgiven. Jacob gets a second chance with his brother and his father because of the power of forgiveness. Now, when this podcast is released, when this sermon is preached, it's going to be January the 3rd. So we're a mere two days removed from the start of 2021. It's a new year after a remarkably difficult year. You know, funny enough this year, maybe it's just because I didn't watch a whole lot of TV. Beth and I just stayed in and rented a movie. But I didn't hear a lot of people making resolutions this year. I think it has something to do with a general sense of exhaustion and frustration across the world, not just here in Ligonier, but everywhere. It was not the most glamorous New Year's Eve, but, you know, 2020 was not a glamorous year. And there's a lot of hope that 2021 is going to be a better year, one with a little less turbulence and a little more safety and freedom and normalcy. Maybe 2021 will be a year of reconciliation for you, like Jacob and his father, or Jacob and Esau. I mean, this was a year we were all at odds with each other in some fashion. I'm still continually struck by the stories of fallout over political differences, or the fallout over, you know, how to navigate the virus, or the fact that we still can't agree on a single reputable news source. And I'm struck by the fact that fear and conflict has driven us um, metaphorically and sometimes literally to fisticuffs over the smallest and most unimportant things. In 2005, the 90s alt-rock band with a very silly name, the Goo Goo Dolls, had a bit of a revival. So they were a band in the 90s, but they had a bit of a revival in 2005. And they did it with a song called Better Days. And it's a song they wrote for the holidays. It was a, a Christmas slash New Year combination song. And what I appreciate about the song is how it summarizes what we all have in common, which is that every single one of us um, listening to this sermon, whether we're sitting in church on Sunday or listening from the comfort of our homes, every single one of us um, have one common hope, and that is a hope for better days ahead. And the first verse of this song really gets to the heart of the matter. The, The band sings, And you ask me what I want this year, and I try to make this kind and clear. Just a chance that maybe we'll have better days. Because I don't need boxes wrapped in strings and designer love and empty things. Just a chance that maybe we'll find better days. And the song goes on. The singer wants a simple place to live. He wants a relationship with the divine that provides love and trust and peace. And he hopes that no more children have to experience poverty like Jesus Christ did when he was a child. But the real power of the song is in the chorus. How do we find better days ahead according to the Goo Goo Dolls? Well, here's what they sing. So take these words and sing out loud, because everyone's forgiven now. Because tonight's the night the world begins again. So take these words and sing out loud, because everyone's forgiven now. Because tonight's the night the world begins again. The story of Jacob's life is that of the forgiving God of Genesis, making his world anew. And the key part of that work is the forgiveness of sins. Jacob is forgiven for his animosity toward his brother, toward the deception of his father, for a whole host of things. And you know what it leads for 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 Jacob? It leads to better days. 
If we really want a better 2021, if we really want better days, we're going to need something more than New Year's resolutions. We're going to need something more than righteous indignation. We're going to need more than plans to diet and exercise. We'll need what we see in the life of Jacob. Reconciliation and forgiveness and peace. Clean slates, clean consciousnesses, and clean hands. And the source of all that forgiveness is ultimately the God of Genesis, the same God who gave us the one poor child who saved this world. And so as Jacob and Esau bury their father, they do so with their consciences cleaned, free of burden. It reminds me of the great scene in Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan's classic allegory. And if you've read the the story, you know that the main character is a man named Christian, and he starts out on his journey to the celestial city with a large and heavy backpack. And we learn that the backpack is the weight of his guilty conscience, pressing him down, weighing him down, when he realizes that God's judgment isn't just sort of nebulous for other people, but it's for him and him specifically. And he carries this backpack at the beginning of the pilgrimage, and he's he's working his way towards the celestial city, and he's, he keeps asking people, you know, hey, do you know how we can get this backpack off? Because he, A, it, it's heavy, he doesn't want it, and B, it's slowing his progress. It's slowing him down. And so he tries a bunch of different things. He tries worldly wisdom, he tries morality, he tries legality, he tries civility. None of them work. But finally, in the third chapter, the Christian the pilgrim makes it to a top of the hill, and at the top of the hill, he finds a cross anchored there. And this is where John Bunyan picks it up. I'm going to read to you what he says. On the top of the hill, he came to a cross, and just as he got to the cross, his burden came loose, dropped from his shoulders, and went tumbling down the hill, and it fell into an open grave, and I saw it no more. Now Christian's heart was light. He had found relief from his burden. He said to himself, He has given me rest by his sorrows and life by his death. He stood gazing at the cross, wondering how the sight of the cross could relieve one of guilt and shame. He no longer felt guilty of anything. His conscience told him that all his sins were forgiven. He now felt innocent, clean, happy, and free. He knew his sins had all been paid for by the death of the one who died on the cross. They were gone, buried in the Savior's tomb, and God would remember them against him no more forever. And he was so thankful and so full of joy that tears began to flow. One might rightly see Jacob at God's leading, dropping his burden as he says goodbye to his father, for he has been reconciled at the grace of God and released of the burden. And the release of this burden of this backpack is the first step to better days ahead. And so this new year, 2021, let's take these words and sing them loud. Because the whole world's forgiven now. And by the grace of God, one day soon, the world will begin again. In Jesus' name, amen. Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.